Cameron and Jake are lifelong friends that love video games, movies, and generally all of nerd culture. Very original, right? Jake, that's me, has recently achieved a dream of mine to move to Japan, so Cameron and I stay connected with this podcast. Each episode, you'll join us as we take a nostalgic look back at the culture that we so love. This is Region Unlocked. Welcome. No, that's a that's a bad way to say welcome. I welcome back. That's too excited. Let's tone it down. <laughs> welcome back, everyone, to Region Unlocked, an amazing podcast about myself and my friend Jake. Jake's in Japan. I'm in America. We're talking video games to stay together. Jake, how's it going? It's going about as well as it can be for a beautiful Tokyo day right now before it starts raining. My laundry is almost dry, and I'm very happy. <laughs> How do you dry your laundry? Uh, it's out on a hook right now outside because it's nice and sunny, so it dries faster, and it's a lot less smelly, too, when you uh, dry it outside. Oh, okay. I hadn't thought about that. Yes, and it also gives you an excuse to just go outside. So Probably helps with... <laughs> With shirts shrinking as well, it does. All it my really shirts, does. all my shirts shrink, and I'm a, I'm the kind of guy who like refuses to move up in shirt size. It's like no, I will not acknowledge that I've gained weight. I'm not gonna go <laughs> up to double XL, but all my XL shirts like they start out fitting on day one, and then one wash, and they're like crop tops. Oof. <laughs> That's tough, man. It is. I'm tough. sorry. I hate it. Oh well. Yeah. Um, so Jake, <laughs> if you, what kind of gaming nonsense have you been up to this week? Uh, the kind of gaming nonsense that I've been up to, I have been looking around at different N64 games to find, uh, in downtown Tokyo, Yeah. but I've not really found anything that I want to try yet. I've still been playing Horizon Zero Dawn and A Plague Tale on PS4, mm-hmm. and I've also been prepping this podcast. So that's the video game awesomeness that I've been up to. Cool. Uh, what level are you at in uh, Horizon? Uh, 25. Okay. I think I'm like 19. But I, I barely mm. played this week. I've mostly been playing uh, the an N64 game in preparation yeah. for next week's episode, which I'm very, very excited to talk about. But I will, uh, I'll spoil it then, what I've been playing. And it's been going pretty well. So overall... Cool good to be playing video games that's awesome yeah so anyway it's always awesome as you know from last week jake and i have started to wrap up our time with the n64 and and eventually move on to other things it's kind of sad that it's only been i don't know 15 i don't know what episode this is probably 17 or so um it's like, oh, really? We covered all of the N64 in just 17 episodes. We played, we didn't play that many games, and <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's kind of true. We we really only played like the big hitters, the ones that everyone knows, because yeah. again, we were kids. We couldn't afford to play so many. I'm sure we rented a lot too, but yeah. I don't remember those. I only remember the ones I own. Yeah. But still, I mean, we, we went over a lot of highlights, and we still played a lot of smaller games. I guess you just don't really have as much to talk about with those. Um, at least I didn't, but 
we covered a lot of points, I'd say. Some really good stuff, too. Yeah, that's true. So that being said, in these last few episodes, instead of dedicating a whole episode to a single game, um, we're going to talk about some smaller games that were still important to us, but not, you know, the big memories of our childhood. Uh, so first off, I want to give a, a shout out a shout out to our friend Caitlin. She emailed us and asked if we would talk about Harvest Moon, because Harvest Moon was a very important game to her on the N64 when she was growing up. I know she's told stories of how upset she was when her brother sold it, but then we bought her a new one, and that was pretty exciting. But <laughs> we I actually, remember that. <laughs> so Jake and I have not actually played Harvest Moon, so we can't talk about it. I know, Jake, you said you played it on the GameCube, but... We're not yeah, talking I played about it pretty that. extensively on the GameCube and Wii. That's uh, that's my memories with uh, Harvest Moon right there. Yeah, well, if any of you have good memories of Harvest Moon, good for you, I guess. I'm glad you enjoyed that game. But today, um, we have two games we're going to talk about, and I'm going to kick off the first one, and that is Yoshi's Story. So, Jake, did you play Yoshi's Story? Yes, I did. I remember going out and asking quite a bit of times to go and rent that game. Yeah. Because it looked cool, and it was, and I just got a little Yoshi toy at the time, so mm-hmm. I was ready to play the game. Yeah, this game was not one I ever owned. It was one a friend had and would bring over sometimes, and I just loved the cuteness of this game and yes. the the art and the music mm-hmm. um specifically yeah let's talk about the art style and it's yeah. always been one of the coolest points of these yoshi solo games is they have mm-hmm. very unique art styles that stand out i don't know that really attracts me to those games even though i haven't played them extensively every time i mm-hmm. look at screenshots it's just like yeah that's a good looking game i like that totally agreed man it's it's got such a unique art style Yoshi story. It's very crafty, very homemade, very yeah. kid like it seems. Which it's actually kind of like a hybrid of a lot of future Yoshi games where some of the stuff in the background looks crafted and you know like their most recent one is Yoshi's Crafted World. There's stuff oh, that yeah. looks, <laughs> there's stuff that looks wooly like it's kind of a a mix but I guess I can't really put my finger on what exactly it is i guess the main theme here is it's like a pop-up storybook yeah and yeah a bunch of other random things in there too but yeah it's i just loved how it looked and i loved playing as all the different color yoshis yeah because up until then i'd really only seen the green yoshi it's like oh there's a red one there's a blue one and you can unlock a a black and a white one and yep i just thought that was awesome yeah it really is there's this whole universe of different yoshis that is fun because let's be honest when you have a bunch of colors at once you want to you want to check them all out you want to mm-hmm. you want to see the colors <laughs> so fun fun story about this game is again i never owned it and i didn't play it a lot so i had this friend when he would come over he would sometimes bring games generally uh the ones that i really liked he'd bring is Yoshi's story and excite bike 64 yeah and 
But he he was weirdly possessive about his games to where, especially if it was like a sleepover. And one of the exciting, you know, a, a big exciting thing about having a friend stay the night is they would bring a game that you don't have and you get to play that all night. But yeah. he would like set these limits where we'd play a game for like an hour and then he would just, I don't know, snap or get angry. I don't know what, but he would just turn the turn it off in the middle of the game, take his cartridge out and be like, all right, we've played enough of my game. We're playing your games now. Oh, what are you doing? Like we were in the middle of a game. We were having fun. But then it's just like selfish about it. Like, nope, you can't enjoy my game this much. It's mine to enjoy. And uh, that drove me crazy. He did it all the time. Wow. It's like <laughs> the- this meter. Like, oh, 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 hold on. Oh, we've reached the point. Boom. <laughs> No more game. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> but I think maybe that's why this game was so appealing to me because it was something I just couldn't have. Something you wouldn't let me play. A rare game. A very treasured game. Yeah. Anyway, so let's dive into a few facts about this. I didn't actually have a lot of facts. Actually, I, I, now that I look at my list, I do have a few facts, so let's talk through it. I'm sure you do. <laughs> so first off, Yoshi's Story, it came out December 21st of 1997, and I was looking at some of the reviews of the game, and it's sitting at a 65 on Metacritic, which is just okay. One of the reviews I read was from IGN. IGN's my go-to place, and basically they said, rent this because it is super short. It's essentially six levels to play through. And, you know, I was never good enough to see all six levels mm-hmm. in the time frame that I had. But that seems to be the consensus is it was very short and was just okay. But again, as a kid, you don't really realize that games are bad. You're just playing a game and enjoying the fact that you're playing a game. Yeah. And then as I was thinking about this, this game is a side scroller. It is one of the very few side-scrollers on the N64. Mm. And to the point where, as I was researching, I thought, whoa, what other side-scrollers even were there? And so I was searching all over Google, and I could not find a definitive list. I just found, like, forms of people being like, hey, what was the best N64 side-scroller? And even even the most people on the internet only could name a few. So other ones was like Kirby and the Crystal Shards, Mischief Makers and Fighting Force 64, which I'd never even heard of that one. There okay, might have been those a- are the, yeah, those are the exact same games that I was just thinking of before you even <laughs> said that said that list. So, <laughs> but even if there's more than that, it's still not a lot, and yeah. which I think just makes the N64 controller that much more ironic because <laughs> part of its design choice is to give you that left grip so you can play side scrollers with the D pad. And yeah. then it was completely ignored. <laughs> like hmm. almost nothing uses that. Well, no kidding. But still, players have the option. Or they, <laughs> I it guess. looks like they have the option. Actually, now that I think about it, when I played that game, I don't even know if I played it with the D-pad. Pretty sure I used the analog. Can you even Me play too. it with the D-pad? I don't know. I think Yeah, I think you can play it with the D-pad, but... I mean, you use the N64 controller for the analog stick, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, Come on, don't use a D-pad. This is an N64. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, it's nonsense. Fun fact, this was the first game that gave Yoshi a voice. Up until then, Yoshi has been silent. Oh. And er, 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was silent. So now he's got all this little noises and Yoshi noises he makes and whatnot. And <laughs> this was all voiced by Kazumi Totaka, who also mm. does the music for this whole game. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so he's a musician, and then he did the voices. And actually, these voices were recycled in every Yoshi appearance up till Mario Galaxy 2 on the Wii. Whoa. And then at that point, they still used him. They still used Kazumi uh, just to record new voice clips. But every Yoshi appearance before that is just, you know, recut clips from this game. Nintendo. Jeez. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Talk about a memorable voice to be used for that long. Yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah. Another fact. So Yoshi Story, this was the first Mario slash Yoshi game on the N64 released in North America to be rated E for everyone because everything Hmm. before that was K through A, kids to adults. Oh, yeah. That, That rating got phased out, didn't it? Yeah. So if you look back on like your Mario Kart cartridge, it says K through A. Holy cow. Well, at least wow. in North America. Yeah, it's different in Japan. The ESRB, I think, is uh, is just that part of the world. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Japanese differences, real quick. There's only two I found notable. So, like I said, the game was known for being super short. And mm. I didn't know that until today. I actually started watching a playthrough just to kind of refamiliarize myself with it. And that playthrough yeah. is only an hour long to play okay. through the whole game. Wait, and seriously? Yeah. So what? basically this is it. The main portion of the game is actually the story mode contains 24 levels or 20, yeah, 24 levels and then six worlds, four levels per world. But only six can be played during a single playthrough. The game jumps directly to the next world after levels completed. The player can choose which of the four levels in page 1 they wish to start on. However, the choice of levels in later worlds is determined by the number of special hearts collected in the previous level. To finish each level, the Yoshis must eat 30 different fruits scattered around the level. So yeah, you're not even going towards a goal, which I kind of like that. It was like a non-linear side-scroller. You're just going till you get 30 fruits, not necessarily to hit a checkpoint. Hmm. And in Japan, there was no save feature throughout a playthrough which meant you had to play through the whole game in one sitting that's crazy yeah wow but if it's only an hour long which you don't really think about when you're a kid right because <laughs> yeah i was not good enough <laughs> to beat that game but yeah that, that's just weird to think that a home video game had to be beaten in one playthrough so i know like roguelikes are a thing now um i think did you and I play Enter the Gungeon together? Yeah, we did. We played yeah. a little bit. <laughs> when I realized that was a roguelike, I was like, oh, no, I hate this. I hate having to do it all in one sitting and starting over <laughs> when you die. But some people love that, and that's cool. Um, yeah. So then the one other difference that was noted was that at the end of the game, Yoshi and Baby Bowser in the Japanese version, they start the battle much further away from each other 
and as such, you can immediately snipe him with an egg as soon as the battle starts, making him very easy to kill. Wow. Yeah. So in the all other international versions, they move them much closer together, and so then the egg shot just bounces off of him. But I guess that being seems, so far uh, away, it hasn't... Because the fight, you have to kill him with the bombs, not with eggs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I guess from that distance, it doesn't register what you're hitting him with and like maybe his hitbox hasn't set up correctly at that distance so you can still hit him with eggs but yeah you can win it pretty easily that seems uh that seems to happen an awful lot the japanese version will have you know things that aren't completely worked out that they discover and then get it gets fixed in the international versions yeah that's that's a good point it's like uh you know how we have patches now it's like the yeah. japan release was version one and then everyone else yep. gets version 1.1 this was back when you didn't have patches. So yeah. like you could exploit a glitch for years and years to come. Totally different. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Cool beans. Um, that's all my facts. I guess really all I have left to say is the story of the game, which I probably should have started with, but whatever. So here's Yoshi's story story. Mm. So Yoshis, they live in harmony on Yoshi's Island, and their ultimate source of happiness is provided by the super happy tree. Baby Bowser becomes jealous of their happiness and steals the super happy tree, crushing their happiness, and then performs a spell to turn the entire island into a pop-up picture book, which I don't think this is very true because they're all super happy the whole game, the whole time. Yeah. It even measures... (laughs) your happiness at the end of each level. So he didn't crush their happiness. They're doing just fine. Anyway, six baby Yoshis hatch into the island and learn of what baby Bowser has done. And thus, they set out to retrieve the tree. They venture through six pages of the island until eventually fighting him at the end and retrieving the super happy tree. Which isn't even really a tree. It's more like a vine with a bunch of fruits and a heart hanging off of it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's the game. It's very whimsical and has some interesting characters and music. But ultimately, people said meh to Yoshi's Story as it's a very <laughs> short game with not a lot to do in it. But uh, I just remember the theme song first and foremost. I, <laughs> to this day, will walk around the house whistling that theme song, even though I have not played it in 20 years. Yeah, I still have that stuck in my head. I mean, sure, I still hear it in Smash Bros. Um, but I mm-hmm. always loved it. Loved it so much. It's catchy. It's catchy. And whimsical. Whimsical is a very good word to describe that game. <laughs> it's so happy. Everything is centered around happiness. And it even basically says that. It's all about the happiness and raising it. But let's be honest. The, the scary and bad things that do happen in the game are pretty dark. That's true. It's kind of some... spooky. <laughs> Like you, the first level is very whimsical, as we keep saying, and then the mm-hmm. second level just goes straight into these dark caverns with giant, like skeletal monsters and lava creatures. It's like, whoa, yeah. that was a one eighty. Yeah, and, it really is. Yeah, there's a lot of dark, <laughs> bony sections of this game. If that makes yep. sense, it's true. And when you die, it it's pretty grim how you get carried off like that, and then yeah. when you get your last life thrown away, then the music just used to creep me out yeah but <laughs> How weird. you know what and that's 
And that's just very Japanese right there, the extreme, you know, contrast with the juxtaposition of very cute and very creepy. Yeah. And the reason behind that is um, the word for cute is kawaii, and the reason for scary is kowai. And because oh. they're so close and so similar, you get these extreme contrasts. Weird. So they really lump those words together. And yeah, you really can. They go hand in hand <laughs> together. Huh. Yep. You'll see that a lot with a lot of Japanese media, like the cutest of the cute right next to the creepiest of the creepy. That's so weird. Yeah. I've got one more fact for you. Okay. Do you know uh, what the word Yoshi means in Japanese? I do not. The word Yoshi is like a word that it, it shows affirmation. Like, let's do this. I've got this. And it's pronounced Yosh. 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 And you hear <gasps> that a lot in Japanese. Whoa, I think that's what Dr. Eggman says in Sonic Adventure 2 Battle when you pick up a chow and rock him in your arms. He goes, Yosh. That's exactly what he says. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so it's the same word, by the way. Oh, cool. But when we say the name, it's typically Yoshi. Okay. But it's, it's a little bit shortened when you, when you say it in standard Japanese. That's cool. So, yeah, that's that. Well, let me throw one more fact at you, separate from the game, just about Yoshi in general. So Yoshi, when we see him in like sports games, he's generally paired with Birdo. And Birdo has always kind of had this speculation of like, what is Birdo's gender? It's, we can't figure it out. But then people also realize like, we don't know Yoshi's gender. And so yeah. uh, when Miyamoto was asked about it, like this is his response is, well, I just, I don't really answer. I don't give a response because if I say Yoshi's a boy, people are like, oh, he's a boy. Then why does he lay eggs? And <laughs> so if he says that it's a girl, then people are like, well, then you need to change the voice. He's got a, it's not a feminine voice. And so Miyamoto is just like, so I don't care. I'm just going to make Yoshi how I want. And it's not important. And I think that's a good point. It's like, who cares? Yoshi is Yoshi. Yoshi is Yoshi. Yeah, that's all that matters. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome. So there you go. There's some fun facts about Yoshi's story and our memories with it. But with that, we're going to move on to another game, which I think is a lot closer to a lot of people's hearts. Unfortunately, not me. I never really played it, but Jake sure did. Jake, what are we talking about? Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about Star Fox 64. The one and only. This game was quite amazing in my life, and it was quite amazing in many other people's lives as well. Mm -hmm. And Star Fox has had quite a few sequels and uh, spinoffs based around him. But um, Star Fox 64 was uh, an earlier N64 game. It was released in Japan on April 27th, 1997, which is, I believe, maybe a couple days ago from when we filmed this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ironically uh, enough, so yeah, consider the this. Huh. Anniversary. Yeah, anniversary episode for Star Fox 64. Perfect. Um, in North America, it was released on June 30th, 1997, so a little bit later. And then the PAL, um, or PAL version, mm-hmm. <laughs> was released on October 4th, 1997, so a little bit after that. What's PAL? Uh, but PAL, uh, mm-hmm. that's the version that gets released over in Europe and oh, okay. Australia. Do you know what it stands for? 
I actually don't. Do you know what it stands for? I don't, but keep talking and then I will tell you. Cool beans. So um, the PAL version, however, was released under the name Lilat Wars mm -hmm. because Starvox was a German company and it sounded too similar to Star Fox. So Star Vox, right. Star Fox. And there was a, apparently a legal dispute. So they called it Lilat Wars just to not make any legal difficulties. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Star Fox 64 was the sequel to the games on the Super Nintendo. So Star Fox 1 and then Star Fox 2, which never got released because it was considered a little too convoluted. Uh, it's technically, Star Fox 64 is technically a sequel to Star Fox 2, which, um, again, never got released. That's but, not true. Uh, it, to both those things. What do you mean? Both those things you just said are wrong. Well, what are you talking so first about? off, Star Fox 2 has been released. It's on the Super Nintendo Classic. So you can play through that game. Yeah, but it wasn't released before that. Like You're, you're right. Yes, it, it did get canned. And a bunch of leaked versions kind of came out over the years. And then it finally came out in its completed version on the Super Nintendo Classic, which was very cool that they did that. Uh, doesn't yes, it hold was. up that well today. but No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and then I read that Star Fox 64 is more of a reimagining of the first game and not a sequel to it. Okay. Reimagining. That's kind interesting. Like, like a reboot type thing. Okay. All right. I guess that's fair. <laughs> okay. Uh, and quickly before you go on, PAL, the PAL region, it stands for Phase Alternating Line. And uh, I'm not going to go into the details of why, but that's what it stands for. Cool beans. <laughs> so that's PAL version, folks. All right. Go on. But uh, this was the only Star Fox released on the N64. Um, and we don't see Fox again until Super Smash Brothers, where he is a fantastic character who has a very quick shield. Um, so it's a scrolling shooter game, or an on-rails shooter, meaning the level um, route is predetermined and you follow it uh, no mm -hmm. matter what. And what you do in that route basically controls the next level and what happens throughout the rest of the game. Uh, so you fly in these ships, basically, there are wings, and that's the that's the deal. You're, you're generally in this ship flying throughout the level. And it was uh, the second highest selling game of 1997, second only to Mario Kart 64. Okay. So, yep, pretty popular game. And a lot of people that I know played it, including myself. Yeah. <laughs> So I'd say with that, uh, the on-rails thing you were saying was probably why I didn't get into this game. I just wasn't oh, yeah. a fan of on-rails, especially because at this point I had already played Rogue Squadron, which I loved. Oh, and yeah. You, you've got free flight wherever you want in those levels. So it's like, oh, I'm, I have to follow this path. And yeah. I, just, I wasn't a big fan of that. Yeah, I, I got you. At the time... I didn't even think about that or make that connection, but it's such a it's such a true thing. Star Fox yeah. is rather linear uh, by comparison, but yeah, it's got that same feel as Star Wars does, where you're flying through ships in space and on ground levels, uh, mm -hmm. blasting the bad things. So, yeah, that was the basic layout of it. So, what you do is you fly in one of three different ship types, depending on the level, mm -hmm. throughout this whole solar system known as the Lilat system. You fly in the R-Wings, the um, Blue Marine, and the Landmaster. Mm -hmm. And respectively, it's basically a flying ship, a ground tank, and a submarine. So there oh, okay. are 
air levels, ground levels, and underwater levels. And I didn't each realize level is there was a, underwater levels. Yeah, and to get to them, you have to do some fancy stuff because it's not throughout the standard route. You have to do, you have to do extra things to to unlock oh. the underwater levels. But each level is a planet or a like a base or a a section in this in this solar system. And all the characters are anthropomorphic animals, mm-hmm. and they all speak, and they all have different personalities. And you've got four main characters. You've got Fox McCloud. He's the lead. He's Star Fox. And yes. uh, well, yeah, Star Fox is the organization, but <laughs> Star Fox is Fox McCloud. And then you got Slippy Toad, who is the slightly bumbling frog character, yes. who also fl- flies alongside you. You've got Peppy Hare, who's a little more wise. I'd say he's one of the older members who also flies along you. He's a uh, he's a hare. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you've got Falco Lombardi, who's kind of um, a rough and tumble. He's young, the bad kinda, boy. Yeah, he's he's the bad boy. He's he's 19 years old in this game, believe it or not. Oh, he is. He's yeah. He he's a he's a bird. He's a falcon. So, yeah, he's a falcon. <laughs> <laughs> I actually looked that up. There's no confirmation what kind of a bird he is, oh. but I guess we could call him a falcon because his I name mean, is Falco, right? The root of his name. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a bit about the animals. So part of why Miyamoto went with you know why fox? Why not just make a normal space game and Miyamoto being his creative self he's just he thought that's too boring that's too standard and Mm -hmm. I I guess I agree with that if it was just a normal flying through space game you know not based off anything it's not Star Wars it's just its own thing like I don't think it would have hooked as well as it did but it's got that creative flair that you know that Miyamoto has Mm -hmm. so he actually based this or got kind of the inspiration from a Japanese shrine in Kyoto, which I am probably going to butcher. Uh, This one is called the Fushimi Inari Taisha. Yep, that's it. Okay. So this shrine in Kyoto, it's got a fox that he he based fox off, essentially, as well as some other animals. But also it has a whole bunch of archways, tons of these red archways to walk through and yeah. this really inspired um especially in the first star fox you fly through a lot of arches in the yeah. super nintendo version oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so it's just based off of his you know adventures around japan and i gave him the idea for using a fox instead of a human wow so fushimi inari shrine is inspiration behind star fox yeah Wow, it's beautiful, by the way, going there, walking I, through those archways. I got pictures of it right now, and these archways are incredible. Yeah, the Toriyi gates. And there's a lot of them. Holy cow. Yep, and each one is representative of a different corporation or business in Japan. And oh, each really? one is erected as a uh, kind of as a sign of good luck, as a sign of prosperity for each business. And as huh. the business grows, it's expected to continue to purchase a bigger one, ultimately to where like you've got one that... Uh, is along the actual walkway that you can go through. That's like the ultimate goal for each business is to get one that someone can walk under because everyone starts out with a small one that's usually given to them, like a handheld size one. And oh, really? A bigger one and a bigger one, ultimately to the goal of getting one along the pathway. So, yeah. But it's it's cool how you walk through them and it gives you that sense of what you see a lot of in Star Fox. That's so cool. <laughs> that's awesome.
All right, continue on. Yeah, so here's the story. Uh, basically, you've got this evil scientist named Andros, who's a monkey. And for mm-hmm. some reason, all the monkeys in this game are the bad guys. Uh, <laughs> so the monkeys are the bad guys. And um, Andros was banished from Corneria, which is like the main capital world of this system, and exiled to this nasty planet called Venom, which is just a nasty name in and of itself. And there he's building an offense that's basically attacking the whole of the Lilat system. And then Star Fox is called in to stop him. Mm-hmm. So you have to fly through the whole system, defeating all these bad guys and all these different monkeys that pilot these different boss ships that can be easy or hard depending on how good of a player you are right so um each of these levels has different names you got corneria which is the main one fortuna which is an ice planet sector x sector y sector z and ultimately venom but they've all got different personalities oh sector z is a level yes it is okay so that just stuck out to me because the Star Fox level in Super Smash Bros. is yeah. Sector Z when you're on... What, what's the ship you're on in Smash Bros.? Uh, what, what do you mean the ship that you're on? Oh, wait, you're talking about the main one, the giant in one? In Smash Bros., the one you're fighting on. Yeah, that's called uh, Great Fox. Okay, so you're fighting on Great Fox in Sector Z. I hmm. just assumed... Actually, I don't know what I assumed, because then in all subsequent Smash Bros., you're in Corneria, but you're still on uh, Great Fox. Yeah. I just, I don't know what I assumed. But That's huh, interesting. Those are levels. Yeah, they the are ship. levels. <laughs> and you typically fly through them. You're not standing on Great Fox fighting each other. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, so that is that. And ultimately, you and your friends, depending on how well you're able to protect them, because sometimes they can go out of commission if they get attacked too much, mm-hmm. um, keeps you accountable. But you get to Venom to fight Andros. And Andros is, he's, he's a monkey as well, but he's got like no definitive form because when you fight him, he's this like massive robotic face that's like right. 100 times bigger than your ship. And you're in this like psychedelic realm. And when you defeat him, he turns into this giant brain and eyes and it's really <laughs> strange. And that is. We don't really know if he's piloting that thing or if he's actually that face because any Star Fox game I've ever played has him as just like a giant robotic face that you have to shoot at, which is kind of creepy to be honest. But, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's that. And there's a lot of this game that really reminds me of Star Wars just in general. Like the sure. whole ship fighting thing. The ships are called R-Wings. You know, R-Wing. Um, X-Wing. Like even, yeah. yeah, X-Wing, A-Wing, Y-Wing, as in Star right. Wars. And the end of it, you're you go up in front of like a bunch of people in this giant room who are all standing in line similarly to the end of episode four. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just in this whole space theme. It, it just always reminded me a lot of star Wars and maybe that's why I really, I really liked it. But yeah, that's the lowdown of star Fox 64. It's a pretty fun game to be honest. Um, yeah, you're, you're definitely making me want to play it. I don't know uh, about in 64, if I can ever get it on that, maybe I will. Maybe I'll go to eBay and find it. Or I can just grab it on 3DS because they, they remade yes. it on 3DS. And the graphics are much better on the 3DS. It's the same right. game, but yeah. it's just got updated graphics. So, yeah. So other than Star Fox 64, what, what memories do you have of Star Fox in general? Like, did you ever play games with him on it? Oh, well, I know him very well from Smash Bros. Of yes. course. So I've played a lot of them there. And a great thing about Melee is it had all the trophies 
that you could then yeah. go in and like read a history about each one. So mm-hmm. um, I was able to, to know quite a bit because it had a trophy, not just for the fighters, but other characters like Andros and Slippy and Peppy um, yeah. that have trophies. So you can go in and read about them. So I felt like I had a connection to that game without ever really playing it. But yeah, as far as the N64 version of it, actually, I don't know why I say that version of it, because I haven't really played any of them. I know in more recent years, some of the new ones have not been getting great reviews. Yeah. And I'm not sure why that is, but it really seems like Star Fox 64 is the pinnacle of those games. Yeah, Yeah, it, it really is good. And there's a lot about it that people are just now discovering after a long time. Yeah. I've got some fun facts for you right here Tell that me. a lot of people don't know. I didn't know until very recently. Uh, so when you're doing the um, training mission at the beginning, you've got this character, not Rob, but the other character who is like talking to you in like a strange gibberish language that you only see once in the game and never mm-hmm. again on any, in any other N64 game. Uh, he's a raccoon with a wrench in his name in the Japanese version, which we never learn in the North American version, is uh, Yaru de Pon. So he's apparently head of Space Dynamics, which is the company in Star Fox that makes weapons and ships. Oh. So yeah, that Tanuki character, that raccoon character that you see in the training mode and never again is Yaru de Pon. That's his name. Okay. So yeah, if you defeat a certain number of uh, enemies in each level, which takes a lot because this game can get really intense like that, mm-hmm. you get a medal. And if you get a medal on every single level, meaning you defeat that certain number of enemies for each level, you unlock in multiplayer the ability to use the Landmaster. Because normally multiplayer is just in in the ships. It's just okay. a, a flight in multiplayer. So the Landmaster is the tank. And if you do that, you unlock expert mode. And if you get all the medals in expert mode, which takes an insanely long amount of time, <laughs> yeah, you unlock the ability to be on foot in the multiplayer levels, which really? no one that I know has ever gotten to do. And it's really cool to watch videos of it on YouTube. So yeah, you get the ability to do multiplayer on foot. Uh-huh. So I've always wanted to do that, but I was never that good. Even getting medals in normal mode on this game is difficult. Yeah, this definitely sounds like a game I would not be good at on those high difficulties. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's not sure necessarily... enough, I'm just, I looked up the pictures of them on foot. Yeah. The game is not difficult per se, but getting medals is, and getting yeah. like certain things like that is. Um, so in the Japanese version, Falco Lombardi is not Lombardi, it's Rombaldi. Falco Rombaldi, and he's named after Carlo Rombaldi, who was one of the special effects artists who worked on E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Like, hmm. But I suppose it goes along with the whole sci-fi theme. Yeah, definitely. And uh, all all the characters, they've got, like, slightly deformed heads, meaning their heads are bigger than their bodies proportionally. Sure. So that was based on an old TV show called The Thunderbirds, which utilizes puppets. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, kind of like um, Team America, which yeah. I guess came out a lot later. But <laughs> yes. the reason why was because Miyamoto loved The Thunderbirds, mm-hmm. and he thought that whole theme of you know flying ships would go well with uh, Star Fox. Yeah, I forgot. So that's also why when they speak, they don't. Yeah. They just have their mouths flap up and down to, yeah. to kind of look like puppets. 
That's exactly why. Yep, they were meant to look like puppets. <laughs> so, so weird. I love yeah, it. that's a thing. <laughs> and maybe this is just because I'm ever so slightly on the nerdy sector, but uh, the levels Titania and Macbeth or Titania and Macbeth are based on Shakespeare characters. <laughs> well, you don't say. Yeah, I did learn that, and I thought that was cool because it is. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I have to say about this game is something a lot of people are familiar with. It is the origin of the oh-so-wonderful phrase, do a barrel roll. Do a barrel roll! That's right. The incorrect <laughs> phrase of do a barrel roll. So if you've ever heard the phrase, do a barrel roll, it came from Star Fox 64 because... <laughs> Peppy yells it at you at one of the levels, and the way he says it is kind of funny. <laughs> yes, he actually and... yells it multiple times. Well, so for for something so popular as do a barrel roll, it is not a barrel roll. You cannot do a barrel roll in that game. What you're doing is called an aileron roll. Yeah, not a barrel roll. Okay, so they need to look up their their terms for dogfights and all that good stuff. So a barrel roll is actually a much bigger loop you know hence the word barrel so if you were like going around the outside of a barrel oh, as you're going yeah but just the the quick you know twisting in the mid in midair like that that's called an aileron roll holy cow wow yeah. i did not know that that's cool <laughs> so peppy you got it wrong man even though he yells it at you multiple times in the game what the heck man you do that uh, when you do your quote-unquote barrel roll it deflects lasers, so that's why he yells it at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good move in the game, but it's just not called a barrel roll. Interesting. Uh, I had a, a few facts to throw at you. Cool beans. So, shoot. First no off, pun intended. Uh, I will shoot. <laughs> shoot your bad puns. All right. So the first one is the whole theory around their metal legs in this game. Oh, so yeah. if you look at the art, especially in the early N64 games and in Smash Bros, uh, it looks like from the knee down, they have silver robotic legs. And so yep, the theory there being that their legs are actually amputated as fighter pilots because uh, the G-forces required for extreme dogfighting uh, sends blood down to your legs and can cause you to pass out. That's why in real life, a lot of fighter pilots... They have very compressive gear towards their legs to, mm. to keep the blood, you know, in their chest and, and not from rushing down because you'll pass out. But, you know, there's no confirmation from Nintendo because that's kind of gruesome when you think about it. <laughs> they amputated these cute characters' legs. No kidding. Um, but I think that theory checks out. So the only case that kind of conflicts with that is as we move forward with like um star fox adventures mm -hmm. star, he just has like big chunky boots and mm. it looks like normal legs but uh people say well that that was designed by rare not by nintendo and rare just wasn't really in on it mm. but i think that's a good theory from the beginning that that maybe they cut off their legs so they can that's be true. better at their jobs and I mean, it's certainly a realistic they, theory. They still seem to work fine. And if you've ever played Smash Bros, you know Fox is still really fast on his middle mm. legs. Maybe that's why oh, yeah. he's fast. He's got 
less leg weight to move around. It's true. Could be. Another fun fact uh, is actually I got two Easter eggs that are in Zelda. So first (laughs) off, in Majora's Mask, one of your rows of masks in your inventory perfectly line up with the characters of Star Fox. So starting with, I think it's the Keaton mask, there's Fox. Oh my gosh. And... So from that point on, I don't remember all the, the names, but then we got one that's like a feather headdress. That's Falco. Yeah. Then yep. you've got like a frog one, a the the rabbit ears, and then a pig, which the the pig represents the character that he was like a turncoat, like he's originally on your team, but then joins yeah. Star Wolf. Pigma. Pigma, yep. yeah. He's so, a meanie. It's like, yeah, that's that's definitely what they were going for there. But <laughs> A Star Fox reference, but then one of the craziest ones is that hidden in the code in Ocarina of Time in Kokiri Village, at the very beginning of the game, yeah, there's an R wing in that village. Oh my gosh, I've heard about this. So go ahead. There's tons of video of it online, but there's not actually a way to. It's not like secretly hidden in the game. You can't unlock it without hacking or with like a game shark and manipulating huh. the code. But basically, you can. You can pull the R wing out in the code, and it just flies around, and it's it's real small, and will just blast lasers at Link, and you can target it, and it's like super interactive. And it wasn't until a while later that they that we finally found out like why it's actually in the game, and it's because when they were making Ocarina of Time and making the boss Volvagia, uh huh. Picture how Volvagia moves around. He's kind of he's like snaking through the sky, right? Where his body kind of follows yeah. his head. Mm-hmm. And they thought that was very similar to how uh, enemies in Star Fox tailed ships, right? How they kind of just you know they're following oh. behind them perfectly. And yeah. so they put in the R wing to like to model Volvagia and his movement. And then after he was done, they took the R wing code kind of out. And huh. there you go. So they, they made that boss based off of the movement of a uh, Star Fox ship. Wow. That yeah. is really cool. I thought it was just, <laughs> I, I didn't realize there was an actual practical reason why they included that. That's yeah. interesting. So it will actually shoot at Link and you can Z target it and everything. Yeah. Holy cow. Cool. Two more for you. Mm. It was the first game to use the Rumble Pack. On the N64. Oh, that's cool. Pretty standard. Um, but then, <laughs> all right, my last one here for you was so weird. So this game, in its development cycle, like they were able to actually hype it really well. And they made a ton of copies before it even went out because they knew it was going to sell. Mm. And part of the the hype machine for this is they sent out this VHS tape to Nintendo Power members. Yeah. Uh, that's just this long promo reel for the game which again just like man what was life without the internet <laughs> where you had to advertise <laughs> in such weird ways but they sent out these vhs tapes and it was a mix of live action and gameplay of Star Fox. and so the live action segments are these two guys get out of a van one wearing a sony shirt and one wearing a sega shirt and they <laughs> kidnap a nintendo employee outside of the headquarters and they take him back to their lair or what have you. And they got just like a Mario doll in a vice 
and they're like torturing and electrocuting this Mario doll to get this Nintendo employee to tell them about Star Fox. (laughs) (laughs) It's just them, you know, harassing him and he's like slowly keeps telling them more about the game and that's how we see gameplay. It's like, good grief, 90s. Wow. VHS of, of kidnapping. And remember, like back then, companies were so much more brutal against each other with like calling you could do this in commercials like i don't think you could do that today no you have to it has to be like an off-brand where it's like oh yeah that's that's sony wink wink even though it's you know doesn't actually say them Uh uh-huh but you know Sega's sega's old motto was sega does what nintendo don't right Uh uh-huh anyway yep just some good old smear campaign oh gosh 90s advertisements 90s commercials could get ridiculous yeah, like we're oh my saying, gosh. in your face, man. In your face. <laughs> wow. Those VHS time. tapes that they sent out. I remember getting a couple of those. Oh, yeah? N- what never else for did you Star see? Fox. I never got that one. I got one for Donkey Kong 64, Pokemon, and I want to say Jet Force Gemini. Yeah. Okay. But anyway. Wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Star Fox for you. There's Star Fox. So that does it. We're actually not doing a, a top five this week. We're we're saving our top five for a, for something special coming up. But that is some smaller games that weren't as important to us growing up, but still great games nonetheless. So Yoshi Story, Star Fox sixty four. Um, man, this was a this was a good talk about Star Fox. I really think I'm going to go back and play this now. Yeah, it, you, you definitely should. It's it's worth a play or two. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, so, check it out. All right. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, again, if you want to get in touch, we're reaching unlockpodcast at gmail.com. My name's Cameron. And I am Jake. And have an amazing week out there, my nerds. Sayonara, everyone. <laughs>